This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead, so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. Our first topic today gets submitted to us by Colton M. And Colton M. writes, Hey, John and Rob. I thought it was strange that there were no reviews for The Tomorrow War until the day before. That led to lower expectations. But I love this movie. What are your thoughts on The Tomorrow War? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yes, so very quietly, like, shh, Amazon released the new Chris Pratt sci-fi movie, The Tomorrow War. We've been talking about it for a while, but it came in very quietly. And if you're like, wait a minute, what? That movie dropped. Don't be surprised because you're not alone. Amazon didn't allow any early reviews. They didn't allow anybody to talk about it. They really didn't buzz it that much until less than 24 hours before the movie came out that they allowed a small smattering of reviews to actually come out, which is not a good sign. That's never a good sign because if you're a studio that believes in your movie, you want to get it out there so people start talking about it. And so Tomorrow War just kind of came out of nowhere and hit online and a lot of people were surprised that it came out. Anyway, I had a chance to watch Tomorrow War. So I sat down yesterday and I watched the film and I will say this. It was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, they, it, it definitely has some upsides to it. The, I had very lowered expectations because of the fact that, you know, it seemed like Amazon was trying to hide the movie. Then they just very kind of quietly slipped it onto the service. They didn't allow any reviews of it. They didn't let any buzz get generated for it. So I, I was very, very dubious about it, and I had quite lowered expectations. But I'll tell you what. Um, number one, you know I'm a Chris Pratt fan. I, I just think he has that quality that when he's on screen – you're just magnetically attracted to him. Like when he's on screen, he's got that kind of charisma that you're just there. I'm not saying he's Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Ryan Reynolds, but he has that same kind of factor. You know what I mean? And he definitely can do this. I love Johan Strahovski, who of course was in Chuck. Now she's on Handmaid's Tale. Now she's in this. Uh, she came across in this really well. I liked his daughter, the little girl. J.K. Simmons is in this as Chris Pratt's dad. Oh my God, that dude is jacked. That dude is jacked. I mean, he's he's most of the uh, most of the movie that he's in it. He's not in a, a ton of the movie, but he's in a decent amount. And most of the mov movie that he's in it, he just wears tank tops and he walks around with these muscles. And I'm like, that's J.K. Simmons. Anyway, dude is totally jacked, um, which is pretty cool. I really did like the relationship between uh, Chris Pratt. And J.K. Simmons. But listen, what most people really want to talk about is the monsters, of course. The monsters are great. They're great. I I'm not going to show an image of them because I think they're trying to kind of save that for, for people watching the movie. I think they, I try to forget what they call them. I think they call them the White Spikes or something like that. But it's a terrific character design for the monsters. I actually really quite liked it. It was horrifying and terrifying and all this kind of stuff. But one of the things I want to be careful what I say here because I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything. 
one of the things that this little horror sci-fi movie does that a not not a lot of others do is that you know once they get to what you think is the conclusion of the movie there's an entirely new thing that needs to be done and it makes sense and i remember watching this and going you don't you don't really see these sci-fi action or horror films go to that next level and this one did and i thought that was really interesting and it worked quite well. So you guys know the basic gist of it, right? So all of a sudden out of nowhere, like it's modern day, all of a sudden out of nowhere, this flashlight appears and a bunch of these soldiers come in who claim to be from 30 years in Earth's future. It's been under attack from some kind of alien species. We're running out of people to go in there. But Rob, what's really neat, and they inter- they talk about this in the show, and I've never seen any kind of time travel uh, movie or TV show do this, Rob, where they say, that they cannot just time travel anywhere they want. It's like there's a fixed point in their future that is constantly moving forward. And they can send somebody back in time 30 years, but they're like tethered together. And so time moves forward and backwards. So once they send somebody back to Tuesday, they can't the next day send somebody back to Monday. It has to send somebody back to Wednesday. And if another day passes, the furthest they can send somebody back is the Thursday. So the future Earth and our current present Earth are moving in time together. And I thought that's a really interesting device that they're using to do that. Now, I will say that some of the dialogue is not so good. Um, Some of the... Other than Chris Pratt's character, which there is actually a really good personal story going on with Chris Pratt's character, but other than Chris Pratt's character, there's really no, there's no character development, really. It's like you meet certain characters, they're a certain one-dimensional character, and they just kind of stay that character for whatever remainder of the movie that they're in, Um, and that's kind of a weakness. Some of the CGI, look, to be fair, some of the CGI is fantastic, but there are some big tentpole moments in this movie where the cgi is like oh oh did they really just do that like that's 1999 video game quality folks anyway there's a few moments of that that takes you out of it but again some of the moments are truly horrifying by the way i won't give away for those of you who saw the movie you'll know exactly what i'm talking about but rob there's a scene in this movie that is a 100 percent ripoff lift from starship troopers I won't say I won't say what it was, but for those of you who saw the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a scene in it that is like completely right out of Starship Troopers. Can I guess? Can I guess? Okay, I won't tell you if you're yes or no. I won't tell you if you're right or not, but go ahead. Take a guess. I'm gonna guess. Okay, there's a scene in Starship Troopers where they're outside and they're at the the base and you see swarming around them. From every direction, these creatures come and swarm the base that they're on, and the military makes a perimeter and tries to stop them from overrunning the base. And it's really cool. I I will say this about that, though. There there have been, whether it's World War Z or whatever, there have been a number of movies that have done that kind of trope. So yeah, but but it's, that's not Cooper the one I'm thinking a about. Particular way, okay. It does, okay. but that's not the moment I'm thinking about. But people who have seen the movie, you'll know, you'll know what I'm thinking about. Um, so you know what? Overall, look, is the Tomorrow War a great movie? No, but 
was it enjoyable enough just to plop down and pop on? Yeah, it, it, it actually kind of was. So, hey, listen, am I going to sit here and say, hey, everybody, you got to watch Tomorrow War? No, no, I can't do that. But I can say, hey, if you're thinking about watching Tomorrow War and you think the, the trailers were kind of appealing to you, I'd say, yeah, go ahead, pull the trigger on that, sit down, go to Amazon Prime, load it up and give it a watch. And I, I think you might have a good time. Overall, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it overall, which was much, much better than I thought with the way Amazon was kind of sneaking around to this movie and keeping it all hush, hush and quiet. It's like, don't let anybody know the movie's coming out. So, you know, overall, not bad. Overall, not bad. I'll chalk this one up as a win for Chris Pratt. Anyway, guys, question is for you. Have you had a chance to watch Tomorrow War yet? It is up on Amazon Prime. If so, what did you think? If not, what have your expectations been? Wherever you're at, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by John Dobbs, who writes... Greetings, fellow John. Uh, the new suit from Spider-Man No Way Home has leaked thanks to toys and other merchandise. It's also confirmed that a black and yellow Spider-Man suit, along with the appearance of Wong. Personally, I'm not that big of a fan of the new suit, but what are your thoughts? Have a wonderful day. All right. So here it is. So we have been waiting very anxiously and expectantly, Rob, for a new Spider-Man trailer, uh, a first Spider-Man trailer. I expect it's going to be pretty soon. I know you expect it's going to come pretty soon as well. So it's probably on the heels. But on the heels of that, what has happened with movies sometimes is sometimes toys get announced first and we get some things from the movie. And that has happened here. There has been a new Lego box that has come out. And basically that Lego box is showing a bunch of things. It's showing a bunch of things. Let's let's just jump in here with this. First of all, I want to kind of point out that down here in this bottom corner, I mean, I can't be 100% for sure, but that sure as hell looks like some sort of robotic scorpion. And I have not heard anything about there being a scorpion in this. So to me, that's interesting. Also, if you look in the scorpion's claw, it's Wong. Wong is a superstar all of a sudden, everybody. He's popping up at the Shang-Chi trailer. He's popping up on the box for Spider-Man. And that is Wong down here in the corner where you see a listing of all the characters in there. It does list Wong as being in there. I didn't have any idea Wong would be in this movie. Now, of course... It, it, it's, it's it's not like it's out of left field. Wong is very closely associated with Doctor Strange, so it's not out of left field that he would appear in it. So, But Wong being there is still something that I didn't know for sure. What's got a lot of people's attention, again, my main thing of attention is that Scorpion thing. That's the thing that's getting most of my attention. But what a lot of people are then talking about is Spider-Man. And it kind of looks a little bit like a new suit. The thing is, on the one hand, it kind of looks like a new suit, but on the other hand, it also kind of just looks like, you know, the Iron Spider suit, but it may not be an Iron Spider suit at the same time. Now, look, also on the Spider-Man official Twitter page, they put out uh, this as well. 
So I can't tell if this Spider-Man is the Iron Spider suit or not. It kind of looks to me like it's a regular fabric Spider-Man suit with the gold spider. So that because look right beside it is a traditional Spider-Man suit with the Iron Spider like uh, spider legs, mechanical spider legs coming out of it. The other, there are two other interesting things here I want to point out. One is, of course, the black spider suit with the gold piping. That's different and new. I don't know if they put the gold piping on it so we wouldn't confuse it with uh, a Venom possibility, like a, a Venom connection. So that's kind of neat. Then, of course, you see the Funko Pop with it as well. Then you see a Spider-Man head with the gold eyes. Beside the iron spider with the spider legs is a the black suit Spider-Man with, I don't know what that is he's holding. I mean... I honestly don't know if that's some kind of, on the one hand, it almost looks like one of the wizards, you know, the wizards can cast that shield. It almost looks a little bit like that, but it's not that because it's got something else coming out of it too, which is kind of interesting. Then of course we got the spider webbing thing, which we have seen before, but this one's interesting. Is that an Iron Man arc reactor on Spider-Man's chest? I honestly can't tell. I can't tell. I don't know, Rob, like, Rob, you're taking a look at this, and you're seeing this. I, I don't know, Is what do you think? Uh, John, there's all I know is that looking at these Lego sets, it says one thing to me. There's a lot of shenanigans going on in this film. Shenanigans, John. <laughs> uh, I, I don't quite know what kind of shenanigans, but looks like there's we're mixing and matching a lot of different, let's call them maybe realities, or dare I say, multiverses i don't know john but yeah it looks like an arc reactor to me and, and uh and is he doing doctor like is doctor strange teaching him wizardry is is tom holland now harry potter at hogwarts is he learning wizardry and witchcraft here dude i don't know man but this looks i mean I look at these, by the way, everything is made better by a giant scorpion, mechanized or not. <laughs> it's just a rule. It, John, there's two rules in cinema that are always true. Everything is made better with ninjas and giant scorpions. That's just a fact. And if we're getting mechanized giant scorpions in this movie, come on, dude. Come on. Who doesn't I mean, want to see this movie? Now, if you look closely, I'm going to try to zoom in on this a little bit more. Uh, you can't, if you just look at the image in a standard way, you may not see it, but it almost looks like there's some kind of face on, on the top decal of it. So I, I can't tell. I, it might just be some kind of wonky design, but I can't tell if it looks like a little bit of a face guys in the live chat there. Let, let us, let me know in the live chat guys. Do you think that looks like, what do you think that looks like? I think it looks like some kind of like monstrous face, but maybe it's not. It might just be some kind of design or something like that i i, I don't know so somebody's called the spider slayer the movie looks great <laughs> fools go to saying it's mephisto mephisto is in the scorpion mechanical suit anyway rob i i'm taking a look at this there's some really interesting things here and and here's what's interesting about it we're seeing some things for the first time but i really wouldn't consider any of this really spoilery like okay yeah no idea there's going to be a scorpion kind of thing there but we're probably going to see that. My guess is they're probably going to show something like that in a trailer. So really, yeah. they're not showing too much. I doubt there's really anything in these things that they've released that we're not going to see in an upcoming trailer or else. Why would they officially release these images? Not really sure. But anyway, Rob, you're taking a look at these images. What do you think of them? 
awesome. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, if nothing else, this movie looks pretty damn bonkers if these Lego sets are anything to go by. I mean, sure, they might have taken a lot of creative license, but we've seen, you know, if there's one thing that Lego has been good at over the last couple of years, it's spoiling stuff. Yeah. Or at least giving us a taste of what's in there. I mean, obviously, toys have a really long lead time because they want to get out. They want to get the toys out. I mean, these have to be out for the holidays, dude. And Far From or No Way Home comes out for the holidays, so they need these Lego sets done and and out. And then they have to have retailers be able, you know, you have to solicit for them so retailers can buy them, get them in the stores and all that. So, But there's also an element of play and an element of fun. So not, I, I never take the Lego sets uh, at face value. There's always an element of creative license in these sets. But still, I mean, by the way, Lego just put out an incredible Lego set of the Daily Bugle. I think it's the Daily Bugle. And it's like a, a building that the Daily Bugle's in. It's a great, if you guys like Lego, check out the Daily Bugle uh, Spider-Man set they recently released because it's terrific. And all I know is that, John, I'm dying to see a trailer for this movie. I would suspect, we don't know, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a trailer in front of Black Widow. I would say that it's probably going to drop before Black Widow because the next thing is Shang-Chi and that's in September. And while that, you know, that's close, I mean, I get it. And then we've got, of course, Eternals, so there's other places to put the trailer. But I think with, with these leaks and things coming out, I think it's time. I think a Spider-Man trailer. We deserve it, John. Because it been comes a tough out, year. what, first week of December? Is that when Spider-Man? Uh... I think it's like mid-December. So here's, okay, so I'm kind of torn on this. Because on one hand, you, Shang-Chi, it was push is making is cutting it close but you know you're talking september october november december it's still a, about three months out yeah so it wouldn't be crazy it wouldn't be crazy for them to not release it their first trailer until shang chi it, it wouldn't be nuts black widow's only a week away six months is that other opposite where I think much more than six months is too early to put out a trailer. But, you know, once you get to within about six months, that's not crazy to start releasing trailers either. So honestly, right now, I think both those options you mentioned are completely on the table. I, I could see them holding off on a trailer until Shang-Chi. I could see them putting one out with Black Widow, which is about a week away, which I mean, listen, what normally happens with the patterns of these trailers, Rob? Normally what happens is like an official poster or a couple of official images come out. And then normally within about 24 or 48 hours after that, they were just yeah. the heralds of the trailer dropping. So if we, in the next couple of days get like the first official Spider-Man, no way home trail or a uh, poster or something like that, or some new official set photos coming from the studio, then I think that bodes very well for a black widow uh, appearance of a Spider-Man trailer. Otherwise, I mean, look, three options. It's either going to be with Black Widow, it's going to be with Shang-Chi, or it's going to drop somewhere in the middle with those things right now. But you're putting your your money on the Black on Black Widow's release right now, right? Oh, I would imagine. I, I mean, otherwise, we're just going to see more stuff like this, and I think that they need to get out in front of it. But, you know, maybe, I, I mean, they've also got Loki on the air, which might be playing into this, and so they don't want to give up. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to wait till Shang-Chi, but I don't know. Yeah, of course, it's going to be really interesting. Now, something that uh, Chipolta said in the live chat, which is raises a great point. 
it's actually while we're talking about look the the movies to release this trailer with are obviously Blackwood or Shang Chi whatever that's true but what is also true is it's not Disney's decision as to when a trailer for Spider Man No Way Home comes out it's actually Sony's decision <laughs> they decide when and where a trailer will come out. But it's still, it, even though they're the ones making that decision, it would make sense to put it out with a Blackwood or put it out with... When does when is Venom Let There Be Carnage supposed to come out? I forget. November? Let me hold a second. I think it's November. Uh, let There Be Carnage uh, release date. Let's see. It is September 24th. Mm, that makes it less than three months until the release of Spider-Man No Way Home. That might be cutting it a little bit close. That might be cutting it a little bit close. So I don't think Sony's going to hold on to it till November. but Or till September. I, I can't see them cut, holding it off that long. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see. Question is for you guys. What do you think about these images we're seeing coming out now on some official Spider-Man No Way Home merchandise? A scorpion robot, Wong being in there, variations of a Spider-Man suit, a black Spider-Man suit with gold piping, an arc reactor on his chest? Are we seeing some crazy stuff? Is this going to be multiverse kind of stuff? I don't know. What are you guys thinking about all this right now? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, it's Friday. So we're going to go a little bit more casual today, and we're going to spend the rest of the day taking your live comments and questions that you guys have been sending in. Once again, if you want to send one in to be read on the show or in an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link that's in the description below or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. And thank you again, guys, for all your support. Okay. Let's get on over to it here. We're going to start things off here with Jerome, who writes, What is your opinion on the white savior trope? And do you think movies like The Help, Dances with Wolves, Glory, and other similar movies will still be celebrated a few years or disappear because their alleged use of the trope? Well, I, listen, I, I'm, I'm going to say this is a minefield of a topic where no matter what I say, some people are going to be upset. So whatever, I don't care. Here's my thoughts on it. I think when you're telling stories, there's a few things you have to take in consider, into consideration. Telling a powerful, effective story and also telling it in such a way that it will impact and connect and resonate with your audience. Movies like, I, I'm not going to lie to you, I hate the damn term white savior. I hate that term. I hate it. Let's use, Rob, let me take, for example, the movie The Help, right? I think that movie is brilliant. I love it. It's it's one of the, I remember when I first walked out of that movie, I got on social media and said, I just, because I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to say what movie I'd just seen, but I got on social media and I said, I just saw a movie that reminds me about why I love the movies. When I see the human spirit and the human condition conquering things and blah, 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 and, and I love it. And once in a while, you're going to get a movie where one of the heroes, if not the central hero of the story, of the movie itself, is somebody who is on the opposite side, especially in, in any kind of story where there's an oppression story. You get a lot of movies and TV shows and stuff like that that tell the story from the perspective of those oppressed, where we're talking about World War II movies, whether we're talking about uh, the Black Experience movies in America, whatever. 
But once in a while, they'll tell stories from the, the side of the fence of the oppressors. And I think there's something powerful about that. Rob, a great example of this. Tell me what you think about this. A great example of this to me is, is Schindler's List. Schindler's List to me is a great example of you had, you know, the 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 side of the fence that was the oppressed and the side of the fence that the, was the oppressor. To me, there's something remarkable about telling a story from the perspective of somebody who is a beneficiary of the oppression. I benefit from the oppression and realizing, hey, I benefit from this oppression, but this is wrong. This is wrong. We can't be doing this. I, I need to do something. And I think Schindler's List is a great example of that. And I don't think it's terribly different from a movie like The Help, where you have Emma Stone's character, who is a benefactor of an oppressive situation, and yet realizing this is wrong. Like what we're doing and how we're benefiting from this is wrong, and this needs to change. And one of the advantages, I think, of once in a while telling a story from that perspective is that it resonates a little bit more with a different demographic of the audience. Like, because for me, being, you know, a white Euro-descended male dude, it's, I think, not only good, but valuable for somebody like me as an audience member to see a story told from that perspective, to make me examine myself about how am I personally benefiting from maybe oppressive situations that exist in our world today. To dismiss stories like that by just slapping some random label on it of, of a white savior label, I think is, I think is, I'll be honest with you. I think it's counterproductive. I do. I don't, I think it's counterproductive. I think it's limiting. Um, and I, I don't think it helps achieve, I, I think it overlooks the vision of what the filmmaker was trying to tell and the story he was trying to tell and who he was trying to tell the story to. And again, so I, I think if we look at movies like The Help and say, that's, that's not relevant, that movie doesn't have credibility because it's being told from the person on the side who is a benefactor of the oppression, well then are we saying that Schindler's List shouldn't be told either because it's a story being told from the presence of the benefactor dances with wolves a guy who benefits from being white in that in that era and stuff like that but realizing this is wrong there's something here and it actually causes him to change sides i think if all they made were those movies that's a problem but telling stories from that perspective once in a while i think are sociologically important to do so anyway i know there's going to be a lot of people that don't agree with me on that that's fine uh but that's kind of how i see it i don't know rob how would you address that well, you know, nowadays it's hard to even have a conversation about this because people tend to get angry about it. But I, I think you did a pretty good job of explaining it. One of the things that I really like about, like, I love Dances with Wolves, but I see it more as a first contact story. Yeah. Where you have two differing civilizations meeting. And, you know, what's really interesting, if if you study, like, indigenous cultures, especially North American uh, uh, native cultures, you know, there was there was a lot of of uh, warfare and things between those cultures, but they had they had sort of had a, a balance with nature. So there was not a lot of technological advancement there, but there didn't have to be. And so their civilizations probably could have existed for thousands more years in, unless the Europeans didn't show up and destroy it all. But what's interesting about it is 
I think a movie like Dances with Wolves shows somebody from a quote unquote uh, a more enlightened civilization or a more technologically advanced civilization finding out that there's another way to live. And, and it's not necessarily, we might call it primitive, but is it really? What's more nurturing to the soul? I mean, we believe that in our technologically advanced state that we're somehow, because of this, more enlightened than, say, people that are in touch with the actual, you know, if let's say European civilization crumbled to dust and all we had left were, were the indigenous populations of, say, North America living the way they lived. Would our planet be better off? Very possibly. So I think the idea of the white savior trope, that is a very superficial way of looking at that trope, where really it's also an examination of, of different ways of life and different civilizations and, and how differing ideologies and differing uh, um, uh, philosophies of how to lead your life come into conflict and contact with one another. And while you could look at it as, well, the white man shown up to help the, the lesser people of color or whatever, but you can also look at it. I always take away the, the question I ask myself. I love Dances with Wolves, but I'm like, are we really better off? Is enlightened Western civilization, you know, with our plastic in the ocean and heat domes over the Pacific Northwest and firestorms in British Columbia, is our civilization really as enlightened as we think it is. And I always come back from these stories thinking, what if we went a different way? You know, and, and it makes you think about your own place in the world. And I think in that, from that perspective alone, these stories are always going to be compelling and interesting because it makes you, the viewer, recontextualize your own life. And you think about your own culture. It's not about necessarily, well, look at how... Look at how the great white man has come in to save the less fortunate people. It's usually never that way. They're usually the, those people that, that the, the, the people that are considered, I guess, the less advanced folk, they're the ones that have an insight into life that we, the white saviors, can benefit from. And we learn from that. And it's us that are usually shown on the surface, yes, are we saviors? Perhaps. But really, are we? Are we the people that come out on on top on these stories? I don't think so. Yeah. I, again, like just like what you're saying, I just find when somebody throws around a label like white savior on a movie, it's so reductive. It's just it, it so really reductive is. because like that. And also to me, it's a slap in the face because I remember I walked out again. We'll just use the help as an example. I walked out of the help wanting feeling like I wanted to re-examine my entire self. I wanted to re -ex I wanted to, that it was a movie that made me want to look in the mirror and made me want to, to, to examine how, how do I interact with people? How do I treat people who are different than me? It made me want to do a lot of self-examination. It was a powerful, powerful movie for that. And for somebody to just walk along and slap, oh, it's a white savior movie on that. It's like they're trying to delegitimize the experience I had with that movie and take away all the, the incredible good things that the piece of art did. Should all movies be told from that perspective? Of course not. But there were people who lived life in that era that their story should be told too. Anyway, so we've gone on long enough on this, but yeah, I, I, I just, I'm just saying I really hate the term. I really hate the term and I'll just leave it at that. All right, next up. 
We've got Kylo Ken who writes, Congrats, Rob. Really awesome to see you make your passion project a reality. Great job, of course. Rob, we talked the other day. Tango Shalom was acquired. It's being taken to the film markets now. You're you're yep. working overtime now, getting you know all materials ready to go for it. It's going to be playing in theaters. I, I mean, it's just... It's just, I, I just can't believe how happy I am for you, especially, again, you guys just will have no idea how many years, you know, I, you know, I've talked to Rob almost on a daily basis and just like the grind in the work and whatever he has put into sometimes when it didn't even look like there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes when it just looked like, what's the point of doing this? And he kept working and working and working and dude, you got it here. You, you, you guys and the, the team that you worked with, you got it here and it's just, uh, how have you even had a moment? Because the moment the news came, you got avalanche with a ton of work that had to be done yeah. for it. But have you <clears throat> been able to just sit down and enjoy that moment that is like, wow, we made this project and it has achieved something that 98% of projects out there never get to achieve? Have you have you been able to just sit and enjoy that for a minute yet? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think so because – Every time I do a little bit more work, like obviously our distributor is taking the film to Cannes and they start next week selling it worldwide. So even though I've been I've been given a deluge of work and I have to send things to people and make things and files and this has to go here and that has to go there. Um, it, it, what it is, is it signifies the end of a journey and anybody who makes a movie, um, obviously you make a movie presupposing that there's an audience that's going to eventually see it. And over the last 30 years, I've worked on films. I've worked on films for years that are still one in particular that's still sitting on a shelf that no one's ever seen. Uh, but that was more of a, a music rights issue. It's a really sad story. But to get a movie in front of the, the public uh, is always, I think, the dream of, of any filmmaker. And to know that that's going to happen and to know that we found people. What's so great about this is that the company that's distributing it one of their principals was a judge at a film festival and saw our movie at the film festival, so she was able to judge it. Normally, when you make a movie, you have to beg distributors, please come and see my movie, please buy my movie, and please distribute it. It's always best when a distributor can see the movie on their own and they fall in love with it first, so you don't have to convince them and they come after you, which is what happened on this project. So we're all just going... Like, I'm like a dog, whatever you need, whatever you need, please take my move, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You know, and, and it's, it's been a great experience and, and vision films that's putting it out. They're primarily a, a female run company. And, um, I'll tell you something. One of the great things I've worked with female executives for my entire career and, you know, men are, we're dreamers. We're like one day we're going to write epic poetry and, and we're going to be like Hemingway and fight walls and whatever. When you're working with women, what I like is they're like, okay, um, here's what we have to do today. Here's what I need from you. And I need this now. And please tell me when I'm going to get it so we can facilitate what it is we need to do. <laughs> and I love that. That's why I love working with female producers because I, I have my head in the clouds all the time. No, we're going to make this grandiose vision. But a, woman's, a woman producer's like, that's great. But how are we going to do that? And here's what I think you need to do today in the next four hours to realize your vision. And I love that. And, and it's been a wonderful experience working with vision films. They're incredible. They're so knowledgeable. They're so on it. And I, John, 
I, I am taking whatever you need me to do. I am here for you because, man, they think of things that I had no clue about. And it's been wonderful. That's awesome, man. All right, let's keep moving on here. Uh, next up, we've got John Brady who writes, What's up, John Rob? Hope it's a good day for you. It has been so far. Thank you. What is your favorite or most memorable character introduction in film? For me, Indy cracking his whip and revealing himself never gets old. It's true. It's good. Thanks and keep on keeping on. Well, it's a good question, John, but it's not a list I walk around with in my head. I don't walk around with that in my head. Like The, the two that come to mind for me, Rob, about character introductions aren't even are just character introductions in that particular movie, not necessarily their original introduction. So like I think of one of my favorites is Infinity War as the train goes by and then behind the train is Captain America. And like Proxima throws a spear at him and he's like, that's adorable. Catches it. You're so cute. I love that. Or... Again, in the MCU, move a little bit forward, Thor arriving in Wakanda. But then again, he had already been introduced in the movie, so that doesn't really count. But uh, that that Captain America one is the one that stands out to me a lot. Like, I just remember wanting to jump up and down and scream in the theater when that train goes by. When everybody's like, because you got Vision and Wanda and uh, Proxima and and what was it? Was it Corvius? Who was, I think it was Corvius who was fighting with her. And all the, these powerful, powerful individuals. But then everybody stops. It's like, wait a minute. Something else is here. The train passes and the music starts to play and Captain America comes out of the shadow. I'm like, yeah! Anyway, that was just me. Rob, when you think of like character introductions in the movies, is there one that stands out for you? Oh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's it's a big one. one. Of the gr- one of the greatest, you know, when you don't see him, he's in shadows. And then you hear the gun cocked back. And then you hear the whoosh, the whip. And he steps right into the light, and you see his the close up of he walks into that close up, and he's his face is shadowed, but he comes right out of the into the into the broken sunlight in the jungle, his dirty sweaty face and looking like a badass. I mean, that to me is one of my that's one of my favorite character introductions in in any movie. Yeah, that one's great. All right, next up, Tim Tracy writes one of two. Hey, John. So I have been holding off on saying this for a while, but enough is enough. Uh Uh-oh. IGN, a site I visit quite often, just gave the most recent episode of Loki a 5 out of 10. This is uh, this only bothers me because as of late, their reviews for the more recent Marvel Disney Plus shows have been mediocre at best. They also gave the finale for Falcon and Winter Soldier a 5 out of 10, and that was great. What gives? Cannot wait for the last two episodes. Love the show. Thanks for all you do. All right. All right. So here's here's what I would say to that, Tracy. Okay. So you say they gave that they gave the final episode of Loki, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier 5 out of 10, and that was great. Well, that was great according to you that was great according to you i also really enjoyed it by the way just just so you know we're on the same side here but listen film and entertainment are subjective different people are going to look at it and they're going to have different experiences with it just because you thought it was great doesn't mean everybody else should think it's great and you know we should celebrate that we liked it but guess what if if the person reviewing it at the time at IGN it didn't click for them as well they didn't find it as compelling as you and I did and all we can ask IGN to do is or any reviewers that are working with them give your honest opinion and if their honest opinion was a little lower than you or me that shouldn't bother you and it shouldn't bother me and it shouldn't bother us it's like okay they watched it didn't have the same experience as I did that's okay that's cool i loved it great 
and then move on. I wouldn't get upset about it or say there's something wrong with IGN because they didn't give the thing I love the score that I think they should have. It's never going to be the case. Listen, honestly, Tim, and you and I are on the same side, but listen, if you put up, if you put up a public record of your score for everything you watched, you would have a lot of people coming after you and saying, what's with Tim giving that movie that score, right? That would happen if you were putting up a public, publicly available record for everybody to go and see of your score of everything. People would be piling on you. So I, I would say, look, only get upset at IGN if you feel like they're not being honest, you know? But if that's what they honestly felt about the show, that's what they honestly felt about the show. And that's okay. It doesn't change how I felt about it. It doesn't change how you felt about it. It's okay. It's okay. All right. Uh, Next up, we go to an anonymous viewer who writes, Hey, John and Rob, I recently saw two movies the other day. One was The Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife. It's actually The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, not The Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife. That would be a different character. Ah, And overall, it wasn't great. However, that being said, I know he was in it before I saw the movie, but it was nice to see Antonio Banderas in an actual movie again. Uh, I'm going to guess that was Casey McKnight. Yes. I can't even seem to remember the last movie I saw him in. Also... Fast 9 in a 4DX theater, expecting it to be bad, but it actually was surprisingly better than I thought, but the 4DX made it fun for the ridiculous parts. Yeah, I hated Fast 9, but I'm glad you enjoyed it, my friend. As far as Antonio Banderas, um, he was just nominated for Best Actor last year. I think it was Pain and Glory. He was just nominated for Best Actor in Pain and Glory. And don't forget, he had the wonderful privilege, Rob, of appearing in the Robert Downey Jr. masterpiece, Doolittle, a year or two ago as well. So yet, Antonio Banderas has been around. He's been around. Rob, let me ask you this. When you think of Antonio Banderas, what are the first things that come to your mind? Well, I mean, I think about, you know, Desperado. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. Robert Rodriguez's movie. And uh, I I am I I love I loved him in Desperado, and I, I think about Zorro, you know. Oh yeah, that was great too. You know what I also got have to admit I think of when I think of Antonio Banderas. Do you remember the Saturday Night Live skits they used to do revolving around him, where he would rock into a room and there'd be somebody playing the guitar, the Spanish guitar, <laughs> and then like I can't I can't remember the name of the SNL uh uh player who would come in with him. And he goes, is it getting warm in here? And un- he says, I must undo a button. And like his side man would go, no, Antonio, too sexy, too sexy, Antonio. No, no. <laughs> and it, it was just the whole thing. I loved that sketch. It was always really good. Anyway. All right. Next up, uh, we got Michael Walker who writes, hey, John, you make my day easier, especially when I'm working. Retail sucks. I so fast nine. I'm going to guess you mean I saw. I saw fast nine this past Sunday. I, uh, I see what mean. I see what mean. I stopped taking this ser- uh, this series seriously after five movie, but they are my guilty pleasure movies. At this point, my brother, uncle, and dad just go to see how ridiculous they can get. Thanks, and hope you have a wonderful day. Well, Michael, listen, I'm glad you guys have fun. I mean, ultimately, going to the movies is an experiential event, and if you get to go and have an enjoyable experience for whatever reason, that's a win. That's a win. Thanks for sharing that, Michael. Next up, uh, Mike Rusetta writes, Greetings, John and Rob. So if you had to sit through a movie and only get one of these, what do you choose? Great characters, great plot, 
or Great World and why? Thanks and happy early Canada Day. Of course, Canada Day was yesterday. Happy Canada Day to all my fellow expats out there as well. Rob, to me, this is an easy. This is easy. Me too. Because you can have a great plot if 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 you have characters you don't like and can't associate with and can't connect to and whatever, the great plot is wasted. You can have a great world, but if you're being walked through that world by characters you don't care about, it's all wasted. It's characters. And here's a great example of that for me, Rob. I talk about Supernatural all the time. There were many seasons where they didn't have the best story, but I didn't care because I just really enjoyed hanging out with the Winchester boys every week. And if yep. you've if you've written really good characters, and, and that's one of the hardest things to do in the writing process is writing great, compelling characters. But if you've got great, compelling characters that if you can write a Mobius, then your Loki series is is already in an, at an advantage. So to me, it's the characters is the one thing. If I had to trade everything else off, I would take good characters. What about you, Rob? hundred percent, John. Everything begins and ends with characters for me. And, you know, they talk about the Hangout movie being being a genre unto itself. I mean, I think uh, think about Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. Yeah. Or even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Goodfellas. You know, The Godfather even. I mean, The Godfather has a great sort of Byzantine plot, especially Godfather 2. But you like all of those characters. And, and one of my favorite movies of all time is All About Eve, which has one of the great villainesses in all of cinema history. But it's you love the characters. And and like you said, I'll watch a movie that is essentially plotless if the characters are great. If I just like walking around, like there's a there's a movie that came out to an Italian film called The Great Beauty, which is about kind of this old dude just wandering around Italy, Rome, you know, being fabulous, <laughs> dressed in great suits, <laughs> hanging out with people. And I'm like, I love that movie, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I'm going to go to one fabulous party after another. <laughs> And, and I'm like, I'm there for that, man. I'll, I will, I will, like, you know, I talk, talk about how much I love Tony Leung, who's playing Shang-Chi's father in, in Shang-Chi. Uh, he's in a movie that Wong Kar Wai made called In the Mood for Love. And it's basically, he's, he's, got, he, he's in love with his neighbor. He walks around in linen suits in the rain in, in 60s Hong Kong. I could watch that movie if it was 10 hours long, just <laughs> watching him hang out on his day-to-day life going to get noodles and, and, and pass yearningly pass by this woman where he brushes her, her, her fingers together or brushes his hand against hers. And that's all you watch for 10 hours. I would watch it just because I love hanging out with cool people. Yeah. Now, if you want to make a truly great story, you got to have a combination of all three of the things. Cause like sure. if you look at a breaking bad or a game of Thrones or a sons of anarchy, right? You had great characters that were walking in great stories taking place in great worlds that they created. So you're, you're not going to elevate to a, an, to one of the great all-time movies with just good characters, but if you had to pick just one, I think Rob and I both agree, you got to start with great characters. Okay, um, let's see here. Sean Shackelford writes, I loved F9. I know you didn't like it. Pandemic aside, I've seen two movies a week since I was only 15. The only movie I've ever walked out of was Captain Marvel. Uh, it's the ultimate disgrace and shouldn't be used lightly. Actually, I think I thought the movie was quite good. I think Captain Marvel's actually quite good. Anyway, uh, what pushes you out of the theater early? Well, here's the thing, Sean. That, that uh, You just did what we film fans do all the time. We're looking for formula to make answers easy. 
you know, that there's a formula to what makes me walk out of a movie. I've only ever walked out of a handful of movies in my life, Rob, like a handful at most. I walked out of Jennifer Connelly's Dark Water just because it was unbearably boring. I just couldn't take it anymore. I thought I thought the movie was terrible. I just I just couldn't take it. I walked out of movie. What was it called? Movie 57, movie 83. Oh, yeah. The one that had everybody in it, including Hugh, the one with Hugh Jackman with testicles on his neck, right? I just walked out of that because it was bad. Because it was bad. I just couldn't take it. I walked out of Johnny Knoxville's The Ringer because even though. I, I knew what they were going for. They were trying to bring attention and elevate and laugh along with like uh, uh, a special needs athletes. And it was about this guy entering a special Olympics, even though there was nothing wrong with him at all. It was called the ringer, but I became uncomfortable because even though I knew they were, tr- their intention was good. And I knew they were trying to do something good. I got about 30 minutes in that movie and I felt like they were just, failing at it and it just felt more like they were just mocking special needs individuals even though i i know that wasn't their intent i totally know that wasn't their intent but that's how it was coming across to me and it was making me feel very uncomfortable and i just eventually walked out again i think i can count the amount of movies i've walked out of my life on one hand but each one of them was for a completely different reason there's no formula to it rob is is have you walked out of many movies, like just got up and left a theater? And is there a connective tissue to them? Like for me, there's not, but is there for you? Dude, I walked out. I walked out of one movie in my entire life. And it was the movie Shock Treatment. That was the pseudo sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I, I know that. some people liked it. I hated it because <laughs> you can't set out to make a cult movie. You know, a cult movie happens. It, it, it's, it's something unexpected. So, uh, I, I felt like I was watching a movie that people were trying to make into a cult film out of the gate. And I, it was so 